You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Elizabeth Futrell is backstage at Lyric. There's a difficult history between Hannah and Donnie Lowe that was never really sorted out. And so I think of the the operetta as um, really kind of a hashing out of this unfinished business between the two of them. And then there's also the underlying uh, or the the secondary um, love story between Camille and Valenciennes too, which brings all this glorious music to the fore. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. Elizabeth Futrell, who's singing the title role of Lehar's The Merry Widow at Lyric Opera this season, is one of the most celebrated alumni of the company's training program, the Ryan Opera Center. She's sung more than 15 roles on Lyric's stage and has starred in major opera houses all over the world, including the Metropolitan Opera, Covent Garden, Munich's Bavarian State Opera, and Vienna's Theater an der Wien. My colleague from the Lyric Opera broadcast, George Preston, recently spoke with Elizabeth about The Merry Widow. Before we get to the interview, here's a brief synopsis. At a party at the Petrovinian Embassy in Paris, Camille de Rossillon confesses his love to Valenciennes, the ambassador's young wife. A guest arrives, Hannah Glavari, the widow whose wealth represents much of Petrovinia's net worth. The ambassador, Baron Zeta, is desperate for Hannah to marry a Petrovinian in order to keep that wealth in the country. To discourage Camille's advances, Valenciennes suggests he marry Hannah. The embassy attaché, Count Danilo, once loved Hannah, but she was then penniless, and his aristocratic family considered her unacceptable. Now that Hannah is rich, Danilo refuses to join other men who desire her only for her money. During a party at Hannah's, Amorous intrigues abound, the final result being that Hannah announces her engagement to Camille. Danilo bitterly retreats to his favorite Paris hangout, Maxime's. Hannah hosts a party there where Danilo demands she not marry Camille for the sake of her country. She and Danilo finally confess their love. Hannah's husband's will stipulates that if she remarries, her wealth would revert to the state. Despite her impoverished future, Danilo is overjoyed to marry her as Zeta and Valenciennes are reconciled. Now, on to the interview with soprano Elizabeth Futrell. I hope you enjoy it. Talk a little bit about your history at Lyric Opera of Chicago and what this company means to you in your career. Mm, well, I have a long history with this company and um, a very happy history with them. I started here in the apprentice program 20 years ago. I was an apprentice for two years, and actually my first year I was in the chorus. And then since that time, I've been doing, started out doing some little roles um, immediately when I finished the program, then pretty soon after that did bigger roles, and kind of every two years, it seems, I've kind of come back, not regimented that way, but um, 
It's gonna be a couple of years. So I've done, I don't know, six or seven roles now. Good roles. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Merry Widow, it's a lot of fun, but it's also more than just froth, isn't it? It is. There's a real story there. You know, there's a there's, there's uh, a difficult history between Hannah and Donnie Lowe that was never really sorted out. And so I think of the, the operetta as um, really kind of a hashing out of this unfinished business between the two of them. And then there's also the underlying uh, or the, the secondary um, love story between Camille and Valenciennes too, which brings all this glorious music uh, to the fore in their little romance. And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's beautiful stuff. You know, there's a lot of fun and froth, but, but there's a real heartfelt story happening, some pain that has to, that has to be worked through between the two of them. And um, fortunately, it's all resolved at the end. But, uh, yeah, there's substance to it. Who really is Hannah Glavary at her heart? She's a smart woman who loves deeply and cares deeply for Donnie Lowe and had, you know, a problem with that relationship and then married partly to save her family, this wealthy man, because she was shunned by Donnie Lowe because she didn't have money. So I think she married partly because of the wealth that it would bring her family, but also partly as a to get back at him, you know, she she was very hurt by that, and uh, that's never spoken. But I think that's part of the underlying current there. But she's um, she's a fun-loving person. She loves um, sparring with him. That's part of their that's part of their relationship. It's part of who they are. Um, but she's she's really a sensitive woman who is after this love of her life. I think. And is she a patriot too? I mean, her country needs her. And her bank account. She, she is somewhat. I, I think that's sort of secondary on her list. But she's happy to, happy to give the money away at the end of the show. Why do you think this is one of the most enduringly popular operettas in the entire repertoire? Well, I think the tunes are fabulous. They really are. They're, they're great. I mean, every, everything is good. The music is really good, you know. Um, it works well, dramatically. The, the story is well uh, shaped, um, the drama is well shaped, and the, and the music supports it and, and carries it along. And, um, you know, people know these tunes. I, I was just talking to my father-in-law today, and he said the very first tune I remember humming was the Mary Widow Waltz. He said his father, when he was a, a child, his father didn't even know what it was, you know. But he remembers that, that as being the very first tune in, you know, rural Virginia, of all places. Do you have any different vocal approaches for lighter music like this than some of the, the more serious roles in your repertoire, like maybe uh, Juliette in the Gounod? You know, actually, this music is deceptively difficult. And in a way, I really approach it as sort of a bel canto opera. There's a lot of middle-voiced singing um, that really has to be sung. You know, the text has to be gotten across, and it's fairly thickly orchestrated. You know, it's not just light and frothy. They're really playing into the strings there. And um, and then it'll climb, you know, into the high realms just sort of out of nowhere, kind of like bel canto operas do. And um, so I'm, I'm sort of taking that approach with it rather than 
you know, HMS Pinafore or one of those. You know, I just, I, I feel like it needs full-throated singing and, um, and it sort of needs that approach from me vocally to get the whole thing across, you know, in the middle of my voice and through the top of my voice. Is this the first time you've done this part? It is, yes. And how did it come about? Was this something you specifically wanted to do, or were you talking with Bill and it seemed like a good idea? No, kind of came out of the blue. <laughs> they asked, and I said, hmm, I haven't really thought of that. Okay. <laughs> Actually, it had, been, it had been offered to me by a couple of other places, and I had said no in the past, but I thought, well, if it's Chicago, I'll do it. Yes, and I'm really glad I have. It's fun. I'm having a great time. Now, you say your vocal approach is more or less like a bel canto opera, but the style of Viennese operetta is so specific, it's unique. How do you put yourself in that lilting world of the Viennese operetta? Well, I'm helped along very much by um, our conductor and the orchestra, kind of leading the way um, and, and, and showing me the way, really, as we've been rehearsing um, as to kind of how to get that find that lilting style and what I find the most important parts are actually leading into each piece sort of how do you do the rubato and then swing into the tempo you know or or vice versa be in tempo and then do a rubato and you know there are all these sort of classic ways to to get there and and um and those are those are interesting to find so we're sort of finding that together and a lot of help from the music staff what are your favorite moments in this piece you know, funnily enough, maybe some of the non-singing moments for me are, are the fun ones. There's one um, scene that's it's called Spielzena and Tanz Duet, and we have dialogue over music, and then we dance a colo, which is a, a folk dance from Petrovania, and then we have more dialogue over more music, then we waltz. So I, I love just the way that that's... Uh, melded together um, with the dialogue and the dancing and the music underscored. It's, it's really fun. It's something I don't think I've done before in any other piece. And talk about this production. It's new. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are we going to see when we get uh, to the theater for opening night? It's beautiful. I think it's going to be beautiful to look at, largely because the costumes are so beautiful. And I think the set design was sort of made to make the costumes pop. Um, the set design is beautiful, simple, um, and it sort of sets a backdrop to make the costumes and hopefully the singing and, <laughs> and dialogue pop from the stage. So, but it's it's gorgeous, it's yummy, sumptuous. There's a lot of dialogue in this compared to most mm-hmm. things that you do. Is that another challenge? Something you have to to watch? Yeah, absolutely. The dialogue is. Um, you know, can can kill the show. I've seen a couple of Merry Widows, and you're just sort of thinking, oh, when are they going to stop talking? Um, so we're trying very hard to be, uh, you know, on our toes and kind of have good timing and some comic moments. And, you know, we've got a great director, thankfully, and Gary. And um, he's really helping us a lot with that. We've, we've done very detailed work with the dialogue, and so I think it's paying off now. What are some of the insights that you think he brings to this? You know, Gary, uh, as with any director of any piece, I think, has the through line of the piece in his mind. You know, we're each concentrated on our little scenes and coming and going, and, um, and his job really is to know exactly what the story of the piece is and to sort of 
make sure that the story is being told. Um, and so he's doing that in a wonderful way and I think um, a very efficient way. You know, it's, it's, it's happening. And uh, I've learned to really trust him. He's, he's got great ears, great eyes, and uh, really enjoying the process. Well, like you, he's a Chicago favorite. Yes, he is. Yes. Now, Elizabeth Futrell, once you're done merry widowing mm-hmm. here in Chicago, what's next? I have a little bit of time off, I believe, uh, right after this. And then uh, I think the next thing is Traviata in San Diego with a conductor who was just doing Ernani here, Renato Palumbo. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. 